So hello and welcome to The Reset Show, episode number 16, Getting Started with Employee Experience. Our special guest today is joining us from the current English property hotspot, <laughs> County of Cornwall, and home, of course, to beautiful clothing and accessory brand Seasalt. Head of development at Seasalt since 2017 is James Hampton, former RIF fighter pilot. <laughs> okay, I'm, I might have made it a little And James is, in his own words, a passionate learning and development geek. I didn't say it, he said it. Hooked on helping people fulfill their leadership potential for better workplaces and high performance. So absolutely bang on trend for us at The Reset Show. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, James, and we look forward to chatting with you shortly. First up, though, of course, a quick round of thank yous, uh, as always, to our producer, Katie Austin, and to my very dear co-hosts, Belinda Ganaway from Fathom XP and Emma Bridger from People Lab. And thanks to our live studio audience. Lovely to see you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And finally, to the viewers, whether that's visual or audio, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, thank you for your continued support. That's it. Introduction's done. It is time for me now to hand over to Belinda for a brief reminder of why we are all gathered here today. Over to you, B. Thank you. So, yes, this is The Reset Show. And The Reset Show began as something else. So this is a, it's morphed into The Reset Show. So it began, began as well-being lunches. Um, so in sort of the early days of lockdown, a year ago now, um, creating a moment in the week for pause and reflection and support and chat and all the good stuff. Um, but we realised actually there was a much there's a, there's a, another opportunity here to for, for that pause to explore what it looks like, what the world of work could look like if we only took the moment to stop and pause and, and have a good hard think about it. So that's what we try to do every other week on the Reset Show. Have a look at the world of work and think about how it can change and how it can change for the better. So the Reset Show is for you if you are part of a people and culture team, if you work in the whole area of people and culture, but it's also for you if you're just interested in people and people at work. So we'd like to have a variety of different guests. Um, so if you have people that you think we should be speaking to that we haven't done yet, do let us know. Emma. Cool, thanks B. Right, let's get stuck straight in then. So first of all, massive thank you to you, James, for joining us today. And um, really excited to have a real live practitioner in the room because we've spoken to lots of amazing guests over, over the course of the weeks and months, but we haven't really spoken to many people that are actually out doing this for real in organisations. So really excited to have you along today. But let's just start, James, if we can, by um, talking about Seasol, um, really cool brand. I first came across you guys, uh, well, actually way before I worked with you, I was familiar with the brand, but got to work with you a few years ago, got to travel to beautiful Falmouth, which was fantastic, and with your leadership team. Um, but I think it's a really interesting story, the Seasol story. So why don't you enlighten us, James? Over to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's our 40th year this year as well. So we're sort of celebrating 40 years. And I suppose 40 years ago, it started with the Chadwick brothers' uh, dad, Don, who uh, in their summer holidays would, would holiday in Penzance. Uh, they came across uh, a store, wanted to get some raincoats because 
traditionally Cornwall is pretty wet whatever time of the year um, and uh, they stumbled across a, a store in Penzance that was called General Clothing and I think all the way uh, as Don owned the, the business it remains General Clothing um, but then as, as Don passed away uh, the, the Chadwick brothers decided to to turn it into something different which is where sea salt really uh, came from which is probably around uh, I would have said 2008-2009 um, and maybe a little bit before that. And, and Seasalt was grown from, from then on. Um, I suppose another pinpoint of in, in the calendar was when Paul, our CEO, joined uh, in 2015. And I think that's probably where you, we've seen the, the most growth uh, in the business, been growing 20 to 28% year on year for the last since then. Um, uh, we've grown, when I joined four years ago, I think we had 44 stores, mainly in, in England. Um, and now we've, we've got 71 stores, UK and Ireland, um, and growing our international marketplaces. One of the, the biggest news is for us is that we're with Marks and Spencers now in that, uh, that, that work that they're doing uh, with promoting other brands through, through their online channels. Um, and yeah, so we're, we're still experiencing some growth. So, uh, you know, I suppose it's a whistle stops uh, tour of Seasol, but yeah, that's it in, in essence. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, James. A really interesting story. Um, so I'd love to hear a bit more about you. Obviously, Justin gave you a little bit of an intro at the beginning, but is there anything else that he that we need to know about you that he didn't cover? Well, I'm definitely not a pilot. I was never a pilot, and I would never claim <laughs> that because my RAF friends would, uh, would call me out for that. Uh, I was a physical training instructor in the, in the Royal Air Force. Um, yeah, I suppose you know, I, I live in Cornwall. I, I have the, the benefit of being you know, in, in Cornwall for a Cornish brand. Uh, I've, I've got a wife and a little boy and a dog. Um, uh, I, I'm a big, a big into my running, actually. That's probably one thing. Um, a physical training instructor in the Air Force rather than a pilot. So uh, always into sport, adventure. And um, I think only recently have I realised that I've probably been doing this for way longer than I thought I, I had been. I think you know what I was doing in the Air Force was very much employee experience, uh, not just fitness. So uh, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a trend all the way through my career. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, James. So, um, so when when I first started working with you, I don't even know how long ago it was now. Like three or four years ago. Yeah, twenty eighteen, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you know, we we talked about and uh, came into work with you on engagement, and I know from previous conversations, your roles kind of changed quite a bit since then. So why don't you tell us a bit about what your role is now, and some of the some of the stuff that you're kind of focusing on at the moment? Yeah, I joined CSOT as learning development manager, uh, and at that point, the um, I suppose the HR team were going through quite a lot of change. My my boss, the, the chief people officer, was the HR director then, and uh, he had just come in a year before me and gave me a clean slate, effectively, from a learning point of view. Um, but also probably, so about a year after I joined, we started to look at employee engagement and the business hadn't done a survey since 2015. That was probably back then a quite traditional satisfaction paper-based survey. Uh, and John said to me, James, let's uh, let's see what we can do with this. Let's see, see where we can go. Uh, and then and then as I started to move into that world, we started to look at surveying platforms, what was the right way to do it, but really fundamentally making sure our business knew what this was about. This wasn't a HR thing. This was a, a business thing. You know, this is about people having a great experience when they come to work uh, and not about 
ticking boxes or you know filling survey scores and, and you know, there's some of that there always is but um more about the action uh, and getting things done and that's where our managers and our leaders come in so the work that you did with us was sort of engaging with that with that group right from the top and and holding them to account making them responsible for their own local teams and setting a climate and alongside that we launched a leadership program that was uh, as much around the employee experience but leaders pitching up emotionally intelligent, um, being aware of how they, uh, their behaviours impact on, on the, the well-being of their teams, but also um, enabling them to give and receive feedback more effectively. So, um, you know, the business was quite small and um, quite traditional in, in its, in its um, approach, I think, before that. And that's just naturally the way that the business was. So this is about, I suppose, maturing the business, maturing the people around them from a leadership capacity um, and you know, just bringing them on so that the, the business could grow with capability around them. So, so there was so much going on, I think, there. And my role is now head of development and engagement, which means we're kind of bringing all of that together in one place. So rather than them being, and I think this is fairly traditional in some people teams that things sit in silos naturally, you've got well-being, you've got talent, you've got learning, you've got you know, core HR and you've got uh, you know, comms, maybe sits in marketing, maybe sits in, in, uh, in uh, HR and there's always that toing and froing from a comms point of view as well, where that should sit. Now that kind of sits mostly under me, except for the HR operations bit and the payroll side of things. So that enables me to have an overall kind of view of everything basically. So we've come quite a long way around it, I think. Wow, so you've got a lot going on there, James. Lots, lots of different oh, yeah. elements. Yeah. Now. now, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, I was um, really struck by how, you know, you and, and the team really got straight away the need from, to move from what we call transactional engagement, i.e. do the survey, fix some stuff, move on, to a much more kind of transformational approach. And that's really reflected, actually, in what you've just talked about there and the, and the role that you're doing. Um, so what, what, what have you got then? What have you got on at the moment? What sort of things are you focusing on at the moment? Give us a flavour of what, what's on your, what's on your to-do list. <laughs> well, wellbeing and comms are fairly new in my world. So I've only really picked those up this year. So, uh, and, and what was, what I, my perspective on wellbeing is that it, there's a real connection to development, to career development, to career improvement and having a future, uh, as much as it is around dealing with stress and anxiety, mental health and some of those things. For me, if, if, an, if an employee feels that they've got a future and a direction and they've got support and they've got guidance and that feeling of accomplishment takes place for them, that while being actually in most cases is kind of dealt with in a lot of ways. So that while being piece is about really looking at root causes, really not putting plasters over things. So try to not look at the tactics, but look at the strategies and look at them really detailed of what's going really well for us, but what isn't going very well for us and being honest with ourselves and going, what, which one of those can we actually deal with right now? What's, and, you know, we said at the start, it's COVID, there's still loads of unknowns and it's complexities going on around us. So it's trying to think about how can we help our people right now, but also how can we tool them out to be, you know, be a bit more self-directed from that side of things. So giving them some education, making sure that they're aware of, their own triggers when they may become in stress or anxious, but also helping our managers to know that as well, but not making our managers be counsellors, but giving them some direction so that they can signpost. So that's a, a big piece. And then the comms piece has only really come over at the start of this year. Um, I've got a new person in my team who is the employee experience and communications lead. 
And again, that's combining that. We need to talk to people, mm. let them know what's going on. Um, we need to include them in decisions. We need to listen to them. So having a listening strategy rather than a survey strategy has really been quite important for us. So, and what I mean by that is, is, is that yes, there's surveys, but that's about one directional information coming to us. How do we engage in two directional conversations with our CEO and our chief people officer so that they are listening to our people straight away? Um, and then what actions do we actually take from that? And, and then communicating back honestly to our people to say, look, you said all this, we, we've acknowledged it all, but there's probably only this bit that we're going to be able to do this year and be really honest with people. So that's that's work. Um, and then you're having a, a platform digitally to be able to do a lot of this work, both from a learning point of view and from a commons point of view. We, we launched something last year um, that has enabled us to keep in touch with our people, both when they've been on furlough and, uh, and when they've been working which has enabled us to, to just to keep them that feeling that sense of belonging is really important for us that we use the term sharing our love of Cornwall and a lot of our branding and that's 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 also key for our employees it's not just a customer thing and, and how do we do that really well and uh, how do we keep people involved in that sense of belonging is um is clear for people and I think that's that's work ongoing it will never stop I don't think. Wow loads going on there um so obviously we're going to talk about COVID, right? And yeah. you know, you're, you're, a re, you're a retail business yeah. and clearly it's going to have had a big impact on, on, on your operations. So what, what's been going on for you over the last 12 months from, from kind of, you know, from a people perspective and how have you, how have you coped and, and what, what's really worked for you? Um, so, you know, like, like every other retailer, you know, we've been in and out of the closures uh, like everyone else. Um, and you know the vast majority of our business is from from our stores. Uh, I think we're around sort of 550, 600 employees are based in our stores. So um, all have a connection to those stores as well. So it isn't just obviously our, our salespeople. Um, we were able to keep our distribution center running, which was which was really great. Which means our online platform and our online presence was was uh, able to continue. We were also just in the process of launching a a facility that enables, enables our stores to distribute as well as our main distribution centre so that stock that was sat in our stores wasn't getting left or lost and having to be put on the shelf because it's gone out of date and, and we were able to still sell that stock and that's that's been quite a critical thing for us I think being able to do that which meant in the last lockdown we've been able to keep managers and, and other employees in those stores distributing that product so the way that we would have normally taken stock out to stores and distributed it, we've still been able to do that, albeit digitally. Um, so that's been a real win. I think you know, the comms platform has massively helped. Certainly it was a bit of fortune that it came in in February and we were able to use it uh, as the lockdown happens. But that's been a, a real win both uh, in lockdown, but also when stores have been reopened. So we've been able to connect development, knowledge, understanding about new ways of working, what rules are in place, what aren't in place with those employees. So when they hit the stores or when they come back to the office, they know what's going on and they're prepared. And that's the biggest thing, I think, certainly from an anxiety and a well-being point of view for people in stores, is if they don't know what's going on or they're not quite sure, that creates a bit of uncertainty. That means our customers aren't getting a great service. So it's, it's it, you know, it all transfers through, doesn't it, on sort of having an impact on each other. So they've been great wins. You know, our HR team have managed phenomenally with the furloughs. And I think people underestimate quite how much work goes into 
sending letters out to people, making people making sure people are informed, making sure that they're up to date with things, keeping in check with managers so that they can keep their teams informed. It's, a, it's an incredible amount of work and they've managed really, really well with that. So I think that's helped massively. Mm-hmm. And I know you've mentioned a few times the sort of the, the, the digital side of things. So how have you been using kind of digital solutions to really help improve and develop your employee experience, you know, before COVID and during COVID? Yeah, I think digital has been a, from a people perspective, has been something we've been working on for a while anyway. Um, we brought in uh, a surveying system uh, called Culture Ramp um, to, to uh, you know, alongside working with you, Emma. We, we brought that surveying system in because that allowed us that, that noise to, to understand what's going on. We've had huge participations in there. We always get 90% participation in our surveys. So that gives us a ton of majority evidence. It gives us loads of data to be sure that, okay, 10% of the business not giving us information, but in the whole, we can start to make some assumptions and, and start to question those areas. So that's enabled us to really start to think about if we're going to do work in this area, is it going to add value to those individuals, but also what value is it going to add back to the business? Because that's that's quite important. I think sometimes you forget that the business isn't there. People don't have jobs. So there's you've got to be able to sort of make sure that you're supporting the business to be profitable and, you know, and, and uh, successful, as well as making sure you bring people with you. Uh, and that systems enable us to do that. Um, the commerce platform is also a learning platform, so it allows us to sit those two things together. So where there's a policy, there's some development next to it. So it's really clear. If I don't understand something, I can go and find it out. And learning is self-directed for me as well. So it's about helping people know where their gaps are and then giving them the resources at the point of need. So there's this learning in the flow of work comment that gets talked about a lot. I think it gets talked about a little bit too much for me because for me, a human being just learns every day. You know, we, we try to force people to learn two different things. But what that's enabled us to do is just put those resources in a place where people can find them. And we're still improving that because I think some things are still a bit buried as you get loads of content, things get lost. Um, and that's allowed people just to get, get hold of stuff really easily. And, uh, and that means that they don't have to ask questions. They're not waiting for someone to answer it. They've not got to... Um, go through a channel or a line of people to get the answer they need. And also in the stores in particular, they've been answering their own questions. So a store manager will answer, ask a question in the Southwest. They have a community within the Southwest so that area can answer it for them, but also someone in the North can answer it for them too. So if they come up with a new fresh idea about a particular product or a way of doing something, they can answer it for each other and it's done you know they've not got to wait for someone to find an email it's it's just nailed quite quickly and we've got visibility so so if there's something that doesn't get answered we can see it quite quickly and we've got people that can go and answer those questions so it's that I suppose it's what you'd call agile way of working isn't it it's looking at what's going on using the data and trying to make sure that you're putting things in place so I, I try not to use the word agile too much but it is a thing isn't it so we kind of have to yeah, we, we, we're quite fond of a bit of Agile, aren't we, <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had someone on, um, I can't remember what it was, we were on some, some webinar or something and, and we are talking about how to convince stakeholders of some kind of action. They said, just put Agile in front of it and they'll do it. Like, <laughs> we, we had a brilliant um, brilliant research show recently with Natal Dank talking about Agile and that's worth checking out if anyone's listening to this. They want to know about Agile, check out that research show. 
Um, wow, loads going on there. Um, I'm going to pass over to my esteemed co-hosts in just a sec to see if they've got any questions for you. I've got loads more questions, but I'm going to ask one more before I pass over to them. Um, what, what are you most proud of in terms of what you and your team has delivered to what, what has you know been really proud of that's really kind of helped to improve and develop employee experience and employee engagements? Something you can share with us. Love to hear a story about that. I think um, I'm proud of probably two things and they're, and they're really not what I've done. They're really more about what other people have done. And, and when I joined CESOL, it was just me. So it was just me by myself from a learn development point of view, reporting into a HR team. Um, I'm really proud that uh, I've been able to grow my team. So there's now a team of four, but we're looking for another person to join the team in an apprenticeship. So there's that ability of bringing on uh, someone who's brand new. So uh, Ellie joined my team in 2018. She was the first person in my team. She'd just come out of school at A-levels. So I'm incredibly proud of what she's been able to achieve because she's absolutely delivered the, the platform that we've been, that I've been talking about. So I'm, I'm really proud of that, but also that ability for them to kind of get me a little bit and my sort of fairly bonkers way of doing things that's not always traditional and a little bit uh, maverick occasionally to just just go with it. So that's that's really great. But I'm also proud to work for a business that uh, that is open enough to go, okay, we're going to challenge ourselves on this. And that's I know that that's not common. And, and I'm I get the pleasure of being able to work with our exec management board uh, every month. And uh, we talk about their development, but we also work on employee experience and engagement. And I've they've they've been open minded enough to go, okay, if we're going to do something that's really let's really go for it and you know i report into a chief people officer that has that that, is, that has that energy too so i'm incredibly fortunate in that, that sense but you know i wouldn't have been able to do half the things we, we'd be doing uh, if that wasn't the case you, you're generally knocking on a bit of a closed door and, and i don't think i am so, so yeah yeah i can certainly vouch for that in terms of you know, the time that i spent with, with your sort of senior teams at the top of no 100 or something yeah. Um, you know, the openness in the room and the, you know, everyone was there for, you know, the kind of very, very senior people in the organisation. Um, the willingness to, to you know, engage in what we were doing was, was there from day one. And that, that I say that's quite unusual because you normally get a few kind of folded arms around the room and a few people thinking, I'm too busy for this. I need to get back to my day job. But that was not there at all. And it was, you know, really great experience for me as a supplier coming in and working with a team that were really up for it. So that, that was great. Um, B, I'm going to come to you now, if I may. I'm sure you've got lots of questions for James. So I'm going to hand over to B first, see what she's got for you. Loving the conversation, James. Just I'm sort of doing that nodding along, thinking, yes, that's great. That's great. And I mean, you know, you just so many common, so much common ground in terms of our approach. I suppose um, I've got loads of questions. I'm going to, I land in on one. It, it's about the um, the having a listening strategy not a surveying strategy and this need to go back and talk to people now I think there's a few things bubbling around in my head one which is the I love this expression which I borrowed from um uh, somebody else actually which is don't be an asshole you know that idea that lots of organizations are asking awful lot of questions of yes. their people at the moment and not doing anything in response so it just you know and, and that just creates a lot of um, dissonance I, I I guess and when you've already talked about the fact that you know the need to go back um, and, and explain what you can do and what you can't do. I've also heard sort of allied to that, that actually a lot of what people are asking for 
even if you can't do it all, sometimes you only need to do some small things and it's not gaming it, but there are some quick wins, some small things that you can do, which will have a big impact. So I was wondering if you could just sort of tell us a little bit about a bit more about that. How do you find those things that you can impact and are there the small things and how do you have that? I'm sorry, we can't, but this is why. How do you have those conversations? Well, the, this is the thing, isn't it? Because because as a business as a whole, it's almost impossible to achieve absolutely everything from a central location. So what we enable our leaders and our managers to do is get access to their results for their team. And we then tool them up to help them have that conversation with their team to look at that and what you know our system is is pretty good and it allows them to pick three things that to talk about with their team and that allows them to prioritize it and then go back to the team and say look the system has said these three things should be a priority based on the data that we've you know, you've given it as a survey but also their data that they've got in you know, in CultureAmp. and that means that that manager can manage local actions for mm. their teams create the climate that they need within those teams and that's the thing you've got to acknowledge culture and climate are kind of similar, but they're, they're different things. So what will work in our distribution center absolutely wouldn't work in our head office. So you have to rely on those managers to deal with the, the maybe the more niggly things that are more local to that team. They have to be responsible for that. They have to, they have to lead that out, but the team have to action it. It can't be just the manager is telling people to do it because you just don't get the engagement on that thing. So the team have to agree it. They have to set it and they have to set the deadline of when they're going to review it regularly. And usually that's before another survey, hopefully. I mean, this, this is in theory, it doesn't work everywhere and not everywhere gets it right all the time. But part of our job is to help them do that really well. So that means that those little, I suppose, smaller things get ticked off in a way or, or get dealt with. Um, and then that means that the business can look at the, I suppose, the more bigger things that might be something to do with, I don't know, pay, or at the moment it's around returning to the office, flexibility. Mm. And, and those are big issues that have a huge impact on so many different things. So mm. it allows them to focus on key bits around that and, and, and then work on it and then talk about it with our, with our people. Yeah, really interesting. I love, I mean, retail and I do some work in hospitality as well, but it's like that you've got micro businesses, you know, your business is made up of micro businesses. So you can yeah. really get a sense of what's working because you can see the inputs in a, on a sort of a store based level, I guess. Yeah, we're well, certainly um, in the stores. I think, if, you know, the, the store in particular is where we see that working really, really well. And because the stores have quite clear KPIs, we can measure that back. So mm -hmm. we really measure that back on sales performance, you know, interaction with the customer, mystery shops, and look at the performance around engagement, leadership, uh, enablement, learning development, and line those up and line it with our top and bottom performing stores and see what's going on. So it creates that data science that everyone's looking for. And you go, okay, what's going on here? And it, it tells much more of a picture, I think, really. Uh, I, think I think that's so interesting. I think there's so much that can be learned in, in, in you know, business in general from retail and hospitality businesses in a way that sometimes, I don't know, they're just sort of seen as a, as a life on their own. But that's, you know, because you can test things out on that site-by-site -site basis. I think oh, awesome. there's a, go back to Agile, there's a lot to be played with and a lot to be learned in a very quick time. So I think that's super interesting. Can I ask another question? <laughs> I didn't pause a breath there, did you notice? <laughs> I love the fact that you're combining employee experience and comms. I know this is very close to Emerald, my heart. This idea that comms is somehow separate to experience. For us, you know, comms isn't 
the, the whole part of the experience pie, but it's a big part of it for a lot of people. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that works? Yeah, I think, as I said, it's sort of in the early days of that. And um, for me at Seasol, personally, I've, it's been an area that we, we maybe haven't achieved as much. And that's not, not a criticism of those that looked after it before. It's just because it wasn't high on the agenda. You, your focus was on customer and that's it. And as we've grown, I think what we've been able to do is share with the business that the importance of your employees equally interacting with the customer is is a level level playing field whereas you know if it doesn't have commercial gain potentially a business might go well we won't spend too much time on it um i've always promoted the uh james haskett hbr review on service profit chain of you know looking at employee experience and all of those things that cascade all the way through to bottom line profit and use that as my model to to prove things um and so for, for me, what we've been able to do from that side of things is show how important comms can be. And if you do put a focus on it, as we are now doing, we're seeing tons of interaction on. So we have 85 to 95% engagement with our comms and learning development platform. Um, so I don't think many people get that from, from what we, we talk about from, from the vendor that we work with there. Um, and, um, and that's constant. So it's not that when we put something on something happens people go on it it's people are in there all the time interacting with each other and a bit of that has also been about allowing people to communicate with each other freely in an open platform without too many restrictions you know with being okay with people putting up pictures of their cats and of their children and things like that and you know (laughs) and and just enabling a social space for people just to interact normally um that isn't business that could be anything and then separating that from a clear line of of, of business information so that there's a a steady trickle of information that Mm. enables that human being at the end of the line to interact you know at the end of the day yes Yes, communication means different things it's multifaceted isn't it and to just go all the internal comms and this sits over here it just it just makes no sense and it's so, so fundamental to experience justin i know is jumping up and down with some some questions as well yeah, I, I saw what you did there with that with that extra question. <laughs> the oldest trick in the book, just keep talking and no one can interrupt me. <laughs> um, you can have that one, Melinda. You're very, very welcome. And James, thank you for, this is quite uh, sort of rapid fire, isn't it? It's like, so thank you for responding so, so fully um, to all of the questions. Uh, you mentioned earlier two things. One, you mentioned the agile word. And the buzzer goes, um, <laughs> as we said, it's fine. Uh, as, as Emma said, big fans of Agile. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out Natal Danks, of course, you know, I mean, who better to talk about Agile? But earlier you talked about um, the other one is learning in the flow of work, um, which yeah, Emma's like, yeah, I thought he was going to talk about that. <laughs> and uh, yes, that's, that is one of those phrases, isn't it? Um, our, our good dear friend and colleague, Perry Timms, is compiling um, a list of uh, these phrases and terminology that has that have become overused in the last year. And uh, agile and personalization, uh, uh, I mean, learning the flow of work, definitely high up there. But just a quick plug, if anyone who's listening or watching didn't see uh, Bonnie Chook and Ella Richardson, it was a little while back on the research show, the episode Future of Work, absolutely knockout, really, really interesting stuff. And Bonnie, um, a bit like you, James, is a practitioner. So working for AstraZeneca. I reckon she's been uh, 
a little bit busier than she thought she was going to be. <laughs> yeah. We spoke to her uh, over the over the past months, but I really liked how she spoke spoke about it, and I'm, I'm interested to loop back to this one with you. Is she talked about the notion that um, we have developed a, you know, we now have a learning and development function, and she was saying exactly to your point, how crazy is that? You know, humans, as you said, we just learn. That's what we like to do. You know, we're naturally curious. Uh, we, that's what motivates and drives us. And she was talking about the notion from her perspective of building systems that make that happen by default so that you don't separate it out. And it, it certainly isn't a thing that happens in a room with a trainer and a flip chart and a PowerPoint projector for eight hours um, anymore. Uh, so that's you know one, one good thing that has come from the pandemic. Uh, yeah. is that we hopefully finally accepted that that's you know, part of the solution, but not the entire solution. But I'm interested to come back to you then to talk, talk to us a little bit more about um, so you've got your, your platform, which is fantastic. What else have you been putting into place uh, in terms of trying to find ways of encouraging the opportunity for people to learn naturally uh, as, as part of their, their day-to-day work process? Um, I suppose uh, a lot of it's this foundational work around having feedback, I think, for, from a learning point of view. If... If you, if I, and I, I will go back to sport as a, as a sort of a, a place to talk about this. And, and I use Andy Murray quite, quite a lot because mm. Andy Murray is one of those tennis, tennis players that has moved around with coaches and he flexes his, his approach to a coach to get what he wants in terms of his game. So when you look at people's performance, uh, what he is doing is go, okay, I've got a gap here. I know that I've got that gap. I'm going to find the coach that's going to help me with that problem and that issue and I'm going to work with them. And I'm going to look at what, how I'm going to measure one performance in relationship to that coach and, and work on that work. Now, he's practicing every single day. And there won't be a day go by that he doesn't learn about tennis. Right? Maybe not so much these days, but you know, maybe you know, when he was peaking. Um, and, and when you look at workplace performance, what we tend to do or when we look at learning, it's an event. And so... What we're trying to do is, and what I've always tried to do since we started at Seasol, is move away from learning as an event and move much more towards as learning as a, as a thing. It's, it's just, you know, and, and I've stopped calling it learning. So we're talking about performance rather than learning now. So my, my performance and development manager is a performance and development manager, not a learning and development manager, because what we wanted to do is say, yeah, we're going to help you perform better and develop, but I'm not going to teach you to learn, but I'm going to give you the, the environment to learn because you should technically already know how to learn and the problem we've got around learning for me is that when people leave school and education the mindset they have of learning is a classroom and and it and it will always be that way as long as education is the case you know that's how we do education when they hit work they're just expected to work you know and the, the bosses around there are going no we've recruited you because of what you said in your interview and what's on your on your uh, cv so we're expecting you to do it yes we'll develop you but we kind of expect you to be minimally capable unless you're there, sort of an apprentice maybe um and then there's that discord between the two things so i suppose what we've been trying to do is not put courses on so we actually if someone asks me for a course in the past i go tell me why they need to go on a course and tell me what you're doing around it if they have to go on this course so that it's not send them on a course brilliant they're they're done <laughs> you know, that's it they're, they should be fully fledged and then so we push back against those things we're really promoting apprenticeships actually now because what we recognize is that they have a workplace 
you know, they do, they are starting to work for us. There's been loads of issues around levies and people not taking it up. But what we're seeing in those people that do take it up, yes, they do a formal course, but they're able to bring it back. And again, that's about us tooling up the people around them to help them support and guide them through that, give them their stretching and challenging objectives within their work that help them learn. And that's, I suppose, then the key then is around objectives with one-to-ones. It goes back to the performance management bit that I started this on, was if people know what their gaps are, they then get great feedback from their manager on how they're delivering on that. Also, they get some peer feedback around that too, because this can be subjective. It's just my manager might not have a great relationship with my manager. So I need other people to give me some feedback on it. And then it's for me to decide where I think I can improve on and where I want to get to, but I need to articulate that. So our one-to-one process has evolved from a six-monthly catch-up looking backwards. We're now in monthly catch-ups where we possibly can. It's difficult to do right now, but you know we're moving towards that. Um, and having more regular career conversations, more regular well-being conversations, but we put our three strategic aims at the top of that paperwork, if it's paperwork, um, but we make it live for people if it's digital, digital because some some of our teams like to do it from a paper still. You know, it's it's sort of kind of working it out for people, um, and then they they need to align it for themselves. They need to look at okay, what bits don't I know about those things, and how is it going to impact on my work? And trying to bring that together. That's a, a bit of a dark art, I think. Trying to make that align all the way through. Um, the stretching and challenging objectives is the key, and conversations are the key to that. Um, if a manager doesn't have a conversation with their employee, they can't expect them to get better because they won't ever know what they need to improve on. So learning in the flow of work is just way more things than just putting resources in people's hands. It's just a full structural thing. Policies and procedures get in the way. You know, there's structural hierarchy that can get in the way because I might have a fear factor if I go into a room with somebody else. But my mentor is the CEO. That's going to maybe block me or maybe empower me. It depends on the individual. So there's... It, I mean, you can talk forever about it. There's so many different ways of making it work. It, I suppose for me, it's about making it work in your own area, in your own business and and getting closer to that. And I'd say we're still working on it. Oh, what a great answer. You had uh, you had a number of nodding heads going on the screen there. The heads that we can see were nodding. Love that, James. And I, I love, I made a couple of notes about, I, first of all, I love the taking the learning bit out and just calling it, yeah, you know, performance, that's great. So straight away, it's, that's what you're talking about. And I, and I really liked what you're talking about, creating the environment to learn and not being afraid to revisit all of those areas and pull them apart and go, well, how does this help us create the environment to learn and, and what might be getting away? Um, and I love your, you know, your personalized, uh, the sense of personalizing your your own learning. How do you, how do you help people um, identify their blind spots. You know, if it's personalized, of course, it could be like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I see enough, but actually really what I need to do is over here, but I'm, I'm busy going, I want to be like this. Yeah. (laughs) It's feedback, isn't it? And not even if it's negative feedback, so someone's not delivering what they need to do. It needs to be said, if it doesn't get said, then that person will never know. And, And I suppose what you've got to find a way is for me, managers need rapport with their teams. If you've not got rapport and you don't know your people, you know, as human beings, not as employees, mm-hmm. then, then you're going to have a difficult conversation and that difficult conversation won't always go well. So yeah. number one thing for every manager for me is learn how to build rapport with your team and get to know them personally. 
and that's difficult right now, isn't it? Especially if you're a new manager in a business that, that's fully remote right now and, and you can't interact you know, as we all, all would like to. But there's, you need to do that first. And then that enables you a platform to give good or negative feedback. And you, you've got to think of it that you're serving that person. That person won't be served well if they don't know that they're not delivering. They will keep going, thinking they're doing brilliant and still looking for the stars. And they, you, the reality is that maybe they're not there yet. Um, yeah. The job isn't for them yet. So it, it's got to be about feedback for me and, and doing that well. And again, it, it, it's, it's a constant, you know, experiment isn't it i think life so yeah, you're always trying to try to look at the next best thing and try and see how you can improve that for people yeah uh, yeah absolutely and, and i think that links neatly back to kind of where we started you know when we talk about employee experience i know i, I speak a lot about this with emma is that you know uh it, it runs it, it's fundamental isn't it it's actually about the experience of being at work and part of that is this whole thing of psychological safety and I absolutely echo you know how often have we the various people on the call being been brought in to fix a problem to go that's not your problem the problem is just people don't talk to each other and you've got this environment where no one feels safe so yeah I can do a resilience course but that's not really going to help the problem what I really need to do is yeah teach people to talk to each other and uh, yeah Fascinating stuff. Thank you, James. I feel like um, I've well and truly hogged a limelight for, for enough. So I'm going to, um, we haven't had any questions in the chat yet, which is fine because we're having a very fruitful uh, discussion. So um, Emma or B, uh, fastest yeah. finger first, who wants to pick up where I'm leaving off? Uh, I just had a little bit of a, an observation really, and then I have got more questions as well. But um, I think it's really exciting, James, that, you know, you're, I don't want to sound patronising, but we've got so many organisations that, that do things because it's the standard way of doing things and they ignore the science. And it's really exciting to hear you talk about, for example, well-being in the same conversation mm. as mm. performance, because as a positive psychologist, I could go on about this for hours and a lot of people know that I do. But, you know, if we get into a great mindset space and a place where we are able to have great experiences and experience positive emotions then guess what we're primed for success and we, we outperform and you know that that's just the science tells us that over and over again and yet so many organizations kind of ignore that link so it's dead exciting that, that you're doing that so really really great to hear that um and just in terms of the the the, the difficult question that we always have to ask with these sorts of uh, the, these sorts of scenarios is is the measurement question. Yeah. So how do you know that the, you know, the interventions or the projects, solutions you're putting in place are working? What sort of measures do you use? Because people always want to know about measures. How do we measure it? How do you demonstrate your, uh, your return on investment or, or the value that you're adding? So um, for me, it's always uh, looking at the success factors of the business. So, so how does the, the business measure its own success? Um, for us, it's been about growth. Uh, and you know financial success in a lot of areas um, and I think I mentioned earlier around the stores what we look at then is high performing stores and then tally that against engagement measures um, but, and then and then apply some action in those areas to see whether things are improving um, and, and what I suppose what that has created is that where we focused on one particular area of the business we're seeing that improve uh, in those survey results, but also in their, their overall performance. So uh, we focused a little bit um, probably in 2019 in our distribution centre. Um, they, they are obviously evolving as a, as a team anyway, 
Um, but we looked at pick rates and we looked at pick fails and things like that and, and you know, the impact that had on a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, did some work with the management team at that point in time. And, and we've started to see engagement go up there. So you know, business, the, the, the people responded to engagement uh, questions are, are answering those more favorably. Um, and then, so, so that's a, a good indicator that, it, that things are working. But I suppose what, from a store point of view, being able to demonstrate that uh, the theory works is part of the measure. So in our top five stores, uh, where we look at enablement, learning and development, managers, um, leaders creating a vision and engagement as a score, they're all high, every single one. So in every single one of those top five stores, all of that's high. In our bottom performing stores, and those bottom performing stores are not bad by any way means, but they are lower and and a lot lower, significantly lower. So what we can see is that those stores that seem to have managers that are focused on developing their people, that create autonomy, psychological safety, the space to develop, and they they have that culture or climate within their store, they are demonstrating high performance. Mm -hmm. Those stores that don't have that are also seeing less performance. So you're able to demonstrate that theory really quickly and then I suppose what we've got to do is do that in other areas of the business. So head office doesn't always have really clear, defined KPIs for yeah. measures. It's usually back on the customer. And yeah, and I'd look at the customer as well. I'd be looking at how the customer are, is not only just rating product, but also how efficiently they're getting product out. We're getting out to them um, and looking at pretty much everything that we would measure from a performance point of view and seeing how that's impacting on the customer experience. And you know, you've got to be able to serve your customer uh, at the end of the day. And otherwise those customers won't buy, buy our clothes. Um, and, you know, if they get a raw deal, it doesn't matter how beautiful our clothes are, they will find someone else that's doing the same and doing that better than. So I suppose what gives us that competitive advantage, focus on those things and try to make sure that um, we, we, we round those out with, the, with the, the knowledge really. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many different factors financial success, human capital, social capital for us from a business sustainability point of view, that's a big push for us, even though we, we do a lot of that on our product, uh, engaging with our local community is going to be a big measure, I think, for us for the next you know, two to three years. You know, I mean, certainly from a development point of view, trying to recruit more locally to Cornwall um, and supporting those local communities where our stores are at is going to be a big measure to see whether we're, we're actually doing it. And if they stay with us, then that's a, a good indication that we're getting experiences in a good place too. So. Oh, that's that's great to hear that. It's always really exciting to hear like a, you know, a real life example of where the science is actually being demonstrated. And, you know, it's, it's great to hear that. And uh, you mentioned earlier, I should have, should have said the, um, the Harvard Business Review uh, Sears customer value profit chain we'll make sure we put that in the show notes for anybody listening but it's really exciting to hear you know you're focusing on those business outcomes and, and having a really clear line of sight between you know how you treat your people and and the performance of your business so it's just it's like a, a beautiful case study you just shared that's <laughs> fantastic um okay i think we are pretty much at time aren't we justin so um fact we're a little bit over so i'm going to hand back to justin to do the kind of the wrap-up and the thank yous and um but yeah thank thank you for me james for coming on today really interesting to hear a real life kind of practitioner talk about what it's what it's like on the front line so thank you for that yes live from the cornish curl face uh it should be tin really wasn't it in cornwall um yeah so uh echoing emma's uh comments there thank you so much from 
myself and Belinda and all of the live studio guests, James. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we, we look forward to having you back again uh, to find out uh, even more of, uh, of the successes that you're pioneering at Seasalt. Um, a couple of things to mention. Uh, we are on a roll with our theme of employee experience at the moment. I've just had a look back, folks. Uh, and um, of course, we had uh, the launch of the book, which you all know about, Employee Experience by Design, um, which, uh, which was written by two fantastic uh, authors and had input from many, many wonderful contributors. Um, and of course, we will be uh, putting a link to the website to buy that again in the, in the show notes. It can't be plugged enough, that book. Um, last session, we had Paul Bailey and Kerry Hughes from Spark. Uh, they were talking with us about uh, employee experience and relating that to customer experience uh, as well. And uh, coming up, this is one I think you might like, James, um, bearing in mind the conversation we've just been having. Uh, we'll be looking at engaging employees in a virtual world. So uh, very relevant to uh, lots of us. Uh, that's with Ruth Patel, Karen Ataro. That's on the 21st of April. And a final plug for the previous ones uh, to mention, Bonnie Chook and Ella Richardson. Uh, you can find out more about learning the flow of work there. And also another one for you, James, we had uh, Rob Taylor, Rob Baker rather, from um, Tailored Thinking. Uh, talking about personalization at work and the whole this whole notion of job crafting, which was absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure is you know will be music to your ears. So that's it. As Emma said, we are we are running the risk of uh, outstaying our welcome. So um, unless Katie shouts and tells me there's something I forgot to say, I will assume that we are all good to go. And I will finish by saying thank you to you all. Please, of course, like and subscribe and leave us um, complimentary comments. That helps spread the word um, uh, about the work we're doing here. It's been a delight. Thank you one and all. Over and out and see you next time.